listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 57 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Hassan Godwin and Lathan Conger III. Our guest tonight, celebrating 20 years with, starting at the art department, moving up to co-president of Archie Comics, overseeing huge growth in both sales and distribution of the classic line. He's also the co-owner of All Yeah Comics in Harrison, New York, which he co-owns with several other comic book pros, including Art Baltazar and Franco. Currently, he's like the rest of us. Very happy to start the new year off right, and clearly that means spending it with us. Mike Pellerito, welcome back to Cinemental. Thank you guys for having me. I can't wait to do this again. I had a great time the first time, and I hope I don't uh, completely blow it for the second one. <laughs> I would, uh, I would be, I would be very, very shocked if that were the case because uh, it's it's pretty hard to um, uh, how do you how do you make a train wreck worse? <laughs> <laughs> well. You could film the movie Dreamcatcher. Oh, Dreamcatcher. Highly. Uh, high, yeah, <laughs> that's a train wreck in a bottomless pit. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to. Uh, there's a there's a good movie hiding in there. It's hiding, but it's, yeah, it's in it's, there. At least I go on record for I don't I'm sure we didn't record it, though. But uh, when you mentioned that uh, the guest movie was Dreamcatcher. I think I, I my my grunt was audible. It was a groan. <laughs> like, oh. Well, my barf was dripping down the uh, eye of the screen. So. <laughs> but our listeners can't can't listen to barf. So. <laughs> no, sure they it's, can. They log in every inhumane. week. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's inhumane and cruel. I basically retch about movies every week, so maybe they can. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, let's let's uh, let's uh, let's suffer from consumption. So my is week there cons- a sound effect for that, by the way, on the podcast. There is not yet. I uh, I, I haven't I, I, I haven't I, I haven't do have one ready to put on there. No, I don't. I haven't I haven't figured out a way to augment because um, I've got a fairly clean recording of your suffering will be legendary even in hell from uh, Hellraiser. But I don't have, I don't have something to tie it to, to make it. You know, I could just play that bit, I guess. But I just feel like there should be something else with it, something about consumption or consuming. Or I gotta find a, I gotta find a good movie quote that involves the word consumption. Mm-hmm. Gotta watch, gotta watch an old western and we see. We have Oscar the Grouch scaling. Ooh, Oscar the Grouch would be good. Ooh, Oscar the Grouch reading that line would be funny. Um, 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 um. <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah. Uh, what did you watch, Steve? I did not. Uh, I didn't see much this week. I watched Wonder Woman eighty four. Uh, we watched it on Christmas night, I believe. Actually, first night. And 
I got to say, I didn't hate it. I, I, I was very much aware of all of the uh, venom that was getting thrown in its general direction. And I, 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 I can, I'm, I think that I'm aware enough to understand where it's all coming from. I don't think that it's deserving of the level of hatred that's getting kind of thrown in its, at its direction. It's, okay. and the other thing is, is it, the other way of looking at it honestly is, and, and you, if you wanted to play devil's advocate with the way Patty Jenkins put this project together, uh, I, I think, first of all, this movie does not need to be two hours and 10 minutes long or two hours and 15 minutes. However long it is, it's too long. Um, okay. But I think it's too long because they tried to pack too much shit in it. It's basically what it comes down to. If they had pulled out one or two plot lines and cleaned up the ones that they, the main ones that they had, I think they would have had better, a better overall effect in general. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go into too much detail because I know Mike has not seen it. Uh, and Latham, clearly you have not either. Uh, no. But it might it might be a while before you see it. So, um, Hassan, what what did you uh, just? I know I you talked about it earlier on your other show, but I just uh, for our listeners who didn't uh, tune in, what were your what were your thoughts of uh, Wonder Woman? Yeah, pretty much the same as yours. It's I don't think it's worthy of the vitriol. I I, I enjoyed it. I don't know how much of uh, my enjoyment had to do with me being home and, and not being out and about in right. the, you know in the in the in a, in a dark room full of strangers having spent money and now watching a movie that is kind of all over the place and a little narratively incoherent, but I enjoyed it. I think uh, uh, Gal Gadot or Gadot, uh, depending on if you're a Dolce um, is uh, I think she's, she's a great, she's a great wonder woman. Yeah. And she's a great, leading character i don't know if she's you know acting wise i don't know how much range she has or anything like that i'm not going to get into that but i think she's you know she's fascinating enough to watch through the entire film it makes this one serious and i think i discussed it on that show it makes this one serious error that i don't understand why they made it which i won't go into because uh, people here haven't seen it but what do you mean error hassan in what way like canon or there's a choice there's a there's a uh there's a story choice that they make and it kind of, it kind of dictates how it, everything's going to end because of the way they, they decided to depict this uh, particular thing in the story. And it took all of the, uh, it took all of the pathos out of it. It took all of the, cause, cause you know, it's like, okay, I know how this has to end. You know, I know how this has to resolve itself. Right. And so, it's it. I don't know why they did it that way. There's a. It's it's definitely one of those out there kind of things that they could have done any way they wanted, and they just decided to do it that way. And that's and it's right. kind of weird. But I can't go into it with you guys because you guys haven't seen. Well, it. it's really I mean, important. Here's the thing. I'm sure they both seen trailers for the film. You guys both know yeah, that yeah. Steve Steve Trevor comes back. Obviously, yeah. that's a that's a huge part of the story. Is the fact that they've managed to. Who's think, that? That's the boyfriend <laughs> from the first one. That's Chris, Chris Pine, Pine? Captain yeah, Kirk. The, yes, yeah. Ca- yes, Captain Kirk, the one who died in the plane. Oh, he somehow miraculously survived? Well, I'm not going into the details. <laughs> he I'm died just... in the invisible plane crash when they hit Green Lantern? Something, I'm confused. Something like Weird. that, yes. I'm just going to shut up now. 
weird. That would, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> it always is when I set up. If, if you stop <laughs> talking, <laughs> so many things stop would be talking. possible if you just stop talking. <laughs> you told yourself in the bathroom here you wouldn't do this. Just shut up. <laughs> and, and to Hassan's point, the way that they go about bringing him back in and of itself is fine. The process by which he comes back is a huge, huge problem, which yeah. you'll understand as soon as you see it. And, and it's hard for us to get on board knowing here's, here's my, my other main problem with it without, mm. again, without giving anything away. Cause everyone knows he comes back. My problem getting on board with the idea of him coming back at all was the fact that we know he's not around now. So we know that by the end of this movie, he's not going to be there. Yeah. So it's like, how can I connect with the idea that he's back? And especially the way he comes back, you're like, this, this can't, this has to be there. This has to be fixed. You know, it's going to be fixed. And so there, and so you have no connect, you know, that there's, so when he does go away, it loses all of the effect that, that, that it should give you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a huge problem. Also, the, um, this is a nitpick though. He, he does come back and it's been, it's gotta be 1919 to 1984. So it's like 70 years since Mm -hmm. he's been gone. Right. She's kind of surprised to see him, but she kind of, all right. Hey, Steve, you know, it's kind of one of those. It's not that bad. It's not that egregious, but it's she's like, oh, my God, Steve's back. Well, let's try on outfits, you know, and and he's shockingly, shockingly capable of figuring out the world that's changed (laughs) by 70 years, (laughs) you know, in a matter that's in a matter of a day. So, yeah, that's getting really nitpicky. One yeah. basic question. Does the film take place in 1984? Yes. Yes, it does. Do they use the song Blue Monday by New Order in the movie? Nope. They only that use... only for the preview. They only use one song from the 80s in the movie. Really? Yeah. Is what? the song oh. Girls Just Want to Have Fun? Nope. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Though. Okay. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't use Blue Monday in 1984. That would have bothered me the entire movie, nope. and I wouldn't have watched it. The, the song that they use is Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. And is there- to oh, their defense, wow. in their defense, it's used really well. Is there an after credit scene? No. Nothing. Okay. There's a kind of prelude to credit scene. Uh, I'm uh, sorry. Yes, there's a mid. I'm sorry, a mid credit scene. Yeah, okay. something like that. Here's yeah. oh, because they know no one's gonna sit and watch the post credit scene. Well, watching here's it at home. okay. So here's here's one of my other annoying things about the mid credit scene. So <laughs> you know how Marvel does it, where essentially they don't put credits at the front ends of their movies. They just kind of jump right into the movie. Yeah. So then you essentially get an opening credit sequence at the end of the movie. So there's lots of cool little animations done in this particular style. There's, you know, everyone's names, a few of the production things, and then your mid credit scene. And then they roll into the scrolling credits of which there will be anywhere from six to 10 minutes of now with, you know, using all the special effects that they have to do. Wonder Woman's credit scene literally starts rolling scrolling credits for like, two minutes and then all of a sudden jumps to the mid credit scene 
just so they can put one more credit up and then get into the rest of the credits. It's the dumbest design of a, of a mid credit scene ever, but it is there. So just stay till you see the scene and it's, it's, it's cute. That's yeah. about all I can say about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a cute little piece of fan service. You're I like, can't... Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this weekend, this weekend I'm going to yeah. watch. I can't. And then, uh, and then obviously besides the movies for the show tonight and then, uh, I watched, <laughs> I watched this thing because it sounded so good on, on the description. It was a three episode mini limited series. Now I saw that it was 2005, but it, you know, you never know. I missed it. So I didn't know, uh, it's put together by Brian Singer and Dean Devlin and, uh, written by co-written by Rockney S. O'Bannon. So, and, right. it's, and it's called the triangle and it was three hour and 20 minute long episodes. So essentially three, two hour movies originally. And it was like a six hour sci-fi channel movie. It was fucking <laughs> God awful. And it, and, and it had to start triangle, not triangle folks. Big yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. The triangle, not the movie, not the movie triangle, which is brilliant. Um, so it's, it's got Sam Neill, Eric Stoltz, uh, Catherine Bell, if you remember her from Jag. Oh, yeah. Love her. Yep. Jag. <laughs> wow, that came out horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember Catherine Bell. Yeah. So and I, I, that's why <laughs> I was like, and it, and it obviously is about the Bermuda Triangle and like the Philadelphia oh. experiment and all this stuff and all this cool quasi science and all that. And I'm like, this kind of looks cool, right? Yeah, it, I'm midway through the second or third hour of this, and I'm just like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Just fucking cut, cut the whole second episode out, and just just play the only the just watch one and two or one and three. It's it's so overwrought. It's just un, un almost unbearable how overwrought it is. But I had to watch the whole thing once I started it. Um, however, find of the week as far as I'm concerned. Do you guys have any of you heard of this Amazon series called Fortitude? Fortitude? Uh, Fortitude. No. It, it's Amazon Prime. Like fortitude, it, like like intestinal fortitude. The will to survive. Yes. It's 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 two seasons. It's yeah. twenty it's twenty episodes. It's on Amazon Prime. The first season is like a ten episode or ten hour version of the X Files episode Ice. But in a Lynchian oh, yeah. universe. But a lin- in a Lynchian universe. Okay. It, okay. It is fucking amazing. Okay. Fortitude. And, a, and the second season just continues right on, for basically nine weeks after the first one, um, carrying on the same the same threaded storyline. And they ended it in such a manner that you could go back to it if you wanted to, but they just needed a place to stop and they did but man i was i was i had a hard i once i started i had a really hard time keeping it as background noise because it was so fucking good um amazing norwegian cast it was like a co a co norwegian bbc production but you know is it in english oh yeah 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 absolutely any of the you know and it takes place in like the northernmost town in, in, in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's like this town, the town is called Fortitude. It's like 
700 people or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, highly, highly recommend watching it. It is, it is really kind of amazing. Uh, I, and I really just never heard of it at all. And it was like, it's like three years old. It's like the, the last season was like in 2017 or something. So uh, jumping into Mike's uh, feature pick this week, The Natural. Someday when people look at me, they'll say, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was. The story of a father and a son. You got a gift, Roy, but it's not enough. Of love. He means the world to me. I'm not waiting for true love to come along, Roy. A Roy Hobbs comes along once, maybe twice in everybody's lifetime. With or without the records, they'll remember you. Best there is now, and best there ever will be. I wouldn't bet against me. I already have. Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Kim Basinger, Wilford Brimley, The Natural. From 1984, directed by Barry Levinson, with a running time of 138 minutes. A young baseball prospect destined for greatness gets seriously sidetracked. 16 years later, he finally gets one last chance at greatness, but with so many parties conspiring against him, has he waited too long? Mike, why the natural? It's uh, baseball is is probably one of the greatest sports where you can do movies like this, oh. where you can play with the magic and the sort of the epic nature of the game. And and baseball, as opposed to the other sports, the game will slow down in moments, and it allows major dramatic moments to to build where a lot of other sports don't. You know, basketball is super fast. Football, there's a grind to it. But there's there's a there's a speed and a tempo that baseball games have that it changes during the game. Um, when I was in high school, I had two like brilliant English teachers. One was this guy, Mr. Chambers, who was sort of like Robin Williams and Dead Poets Society. Like he pulled out a sword and would smack things on the table. And it was really <laughs> wild. And he hammered me on writing and and how to spot good writing. Nice. The other dad was Mr. Z, and he would pull out. He gave me two of my favorite books, plays, and movies ever. The first one he pulled out Serano, the Bergerac, and then we watched mm. the old, um, the old black and white version, which is still the best. And then we watched The Natural. And at that point, I was in. By the time I was in high school, it was after this movie. So I, I don't think I ever saw the movie before. So we read the book, and, and similar to my other movie that I picked, Jaws, I think the movie's a million times better. It, it completely changed the ending of the book. Oh, more than we that. Watched, yeah. we, we watched the movie after we read the book and he got all our opinions on the book before and the, the before we hit the movie yeah. and the movie after we read it. And every single person in the room was like, this is why it's better. This is why, because it gives you hope. And, and you have you have the perfect character where all the potential in the world and he blows it. He gets involved with the wrong person. He made a mistake. It could happen to anyone. And then for whatever reason, he needs to just try. He needs not to, to lose this opportunity for the rest of his life. And it's just this great story of, of battling and redemption and, and, and just like the magic he, he possessed as a character. I just, I just love it. 
I have a longstanding, I have a longstanding thing about there are two kinds of movies uh, that that no matter what what the other outside subject matter is, but there's there's two kinds of movies that I am almost, you know, I don't want to say I'm a sucker for, but that I will almost always give more than the benefit of the doubt to. Uh, one is baseball movies. And the other is films about the relationships between fathers and sons. And there, you know, it, that obviously plays a part of this movie, but this is movies more about baseball than it is the other. What are you laughing about? I thought you were going to say, <laughs> I thought you were going to say one is baseball movies and the other is movies with baseball in it. <laughs> 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 or movies with a baseball in it. With a baseball <laughs> in it. And I'm sorry. Uh, after after I heard that in my head, I couldn't do anything but laugh. Uh, sorry. Please, um, please continue. <laughs> yeah. So the thing with baseball movies, I, I, I am I was never I never played baseball when I was a kid. I just it was never my thing. Football was always something I was far more interested in. Um I didn't catch any kind of appreciation of the actual sport of baseball until I was probably in my thirties when I would, um, I used to sit with my, uh, my ex father-in-law and would occasionally watch a game with him. It's where I actually learned about the rhythm of the game and offense and defense and how it pertains to baseball and pitching and, and how I got to really, really enjoy watching that aspect of the game to the point now where I've been, I've probably been to 10 or 12 baseball games in my life. Not a, not a tremendous amount. I went, I went to some in Chicago when I lived there. Uh, and then I've been to a few uh, uh, Yankee games here as well. And I, yeah, cause these are, these are kind of a baseball. Yeah. She's big, yeah. Right? She, she likes going to the ball, to the ballpark. It's a, it's a, and it is, it's a fun day. I mean, I, I don't, I don't drink, so it doesn't really, that part doesn't really interest me. I don't, I don't go, I'm not, I'm not go to the ballpark to, to get, drunk or you know eat hot dogs or whatever uh but i do like i I enjoy the rhythm of the game and i think that movies that successfully work with that and i don't know what it is about it I, i i can't it's one of those things i really can't put my finger on and i think it's probably because i don't know enough about baseball in general but you know, you know, we've we've made the point on this show before that there's a there's the most recent the most recent example of this, of course, is Moneyball, which is a movie yeah. that you can watch top to bottom over and over again. Never gets old. I mean, and, and there's a whole lot of moving parts there. You know, it's got two of my favorite screenwriters with the screenplay. It stars Brad Pitt, who I'll watch read the phone book if he wants to. You know, it, it does. It's got a lot of really great points to it before you. I mean, Jonah Hill is is fucking amazing in that movie it's so but, subtle Very yes subtle. yeah i mean but you but you go like to, to uh, for the love of the game with kevin costner um all yeah. the way back to eight men out which is a brilliant yeah. a brilliant john sales movie um there there's just so many great baseball movies um the sandlot the sandlot you know, the sandlots of you, you kids to pros like it's it, yes you're you're part of a team, but you need to have, you know, to go to the untouchables, individual achievement. Um, but it's it's your spot to be a hero without it being war. Right. And, and, and that's kind of a neat aspect to the baseball movie that I think other sports don't have as much. Yeah, because, I mean, like I said, I love football. But, I mean, outside of the comedy, you know, like Longest Yard 
or uh, what's the what's the one the from seventy? What's the one with seven from the seventies with Mac Davis and uh, uh, oh. the hell is I uh, not? I keep wanting to say all the right moves, but that's not right. Um, but yeah, uh, no. but like but like football movies don't have it, and like any any given Sunday, yeah. that's fine. But, no, it's garbage. Well, that's whatever. Uh, but it's it <laughs> doesn't it just doesn't do the same thing is what my point is. Um, yeah, that it's. Uh, Hockey hockey movies are hard to quantify that because it's it's a different, like I said, it's a different thing. And I think you're right. I think it has to do with something to do with the rhythm of the of how baseball is is played and and how that's brought into uh, storytelling. But um, anyway, uh, the Natural uh, is is easily one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, from the first time I ever laid eyes upon this movie, uh-huh. and. Yeah, I've never I've never sat and read the book, so I didn't know the differences between them until I actually read a synopsis of the book and how and how the book was different from the movie. Uh, and it's kind of surprising. I mean, the, the differences between the book and the film are are shockingly different. Uh, I mean, just I mean, if, just go to Wikipedia and there's if you go to the, the Wikipedia page for the book, it just kind of gives you a quick overview of the story and like the changes, the changes they made to the characters, uh, you know, like the Iris character and making her you know, a neighborhood friend, as opposed to this other character who just comes in out of the blue, really, uh, you know, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And, you know, him not him not winning the day at the end of the book, you know, him getting struck out and it ends on a really down note. And the fact that he, you know, that he does take the payoff at the end of the day yeah. and, be, and yet still fails to the point. It's just it's it's brutal. I, I if I remember the book correctly. There was a moment where it's like Shoeless Joe Jackson, where a kid yeah. goes up to Roy Hobbs and goes, say it isn't so, Roy, instead of say it isn't so, Joe. And, and you're watching and you're like, I just spent, I don't know how many hours reading about this guy, getting into a story, waiting for him to to not make the same screw up. And he didn't do it. It, it was And it's a brilliant book. book. It's really well written. All the characters, the pieces you like about them are there. The pieces you don't like about them are there. I mean, he's a brilliant writer, but it's just like I remember, you know, after we we did the comparison in school, and, and everyone wanted the Hollywood ending. Like, if I'm yeah. going to put the time in there and watch this person struggle, I need a win. I need to see a win. And they gave you that ultimate baseball win with the exploding lights, and I mean, it's just oh yeah, it's so perfect. You yeah. get chills every time you. If you really like sit there and watch it and absorb the whole movie, you get chills like a half a dozen times through it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. There's there there are there are two scenes in this movie. Uh, I'm not going to go too deeply into this just because I will probably start tearing up here, uh, <laughs> which I don't need to do. But um, there's a, there's I was just telling Mike uh, that there's a scene in this movie that I can start if I'm just anywhere at any time by myself somewhere and I'm I can start running the scene through my head and it will bring me to tears just quoting the movie in my own head that's how powerful the connection is to at least that one scene in the movie and uh you know i mean everything about this movie it's so it's it's fun to watch again i hadn't seen this movie for a little while so it was fun to watch uh sort of through the eyes of you know, what we've been doing in the last six months with the show and, and watching movies and the way we've kind of been looking at a lot of movies that we've seen many times before, but kind of looking at them in a little bit different way through, you know, a little bit different through, through the prism of 
through the prism of dissection, I suppose, is a way of looking at it. But, uh, you know, going about this movie in the way that they did and, and that, all that whole that whole little upfront bit. I love how it opens and he's just sitting at the station. There's a shot of him sitting at a station at a train station where the title card comes up and he's just sitting there kind of slouched in a chair with a bag. Yeah. And, and all, all I could think of was like one, an old Clint Eastwood Western from like the seventies. And that's Ooh. all I could think of with that shot, you know, and then it goes into like, you know, him as a kid and the whole thing. And, you know, and then it, you know, gets you up to speed. But um, I just, yeah, the natural is, is one of those movies that uh, I, 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 I don't even, I don't even know where to go with it. Um, so where I saw that, that um, the judge and red. Right. Okay. So, it's uh, not the judge, Pop and Red. So what right. is it? Wilbur Grimley and Richard Farnsworth. Yes. This was maybe the one or maybe two movies they've ever were in together. Okay. And, and basically, and Pop's a coach and Red is the bench coach. You can watch that movie. And if you told me they were friends for 50 or 60 years, I would believe you. Because their chemistry. Right. Uh, and the way they joked around, the way they treated each other, the way he managed the team, you know, the gruff guy, the, the one guy would go in and play the good cop. I mean, you would imagine that's exactly how people of that time would have coached the team. Yeah. And, and the play and name the, that tune on the bench while they're all out in the field. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Hey, that's, that's, that's pop's niece. And you be careful with that one or the judges steal on the team from him. He needs to win to, yeah. you know, he's got to get the pennant or he loses the team. All those things, and it made it feel so real. Even the whole bit in the beginning, where where Roy Hobbs he's going to the big city to try out for baseball, and Max uh, Mercy Robert Duvall is there as the the, uh, the reporter cartoonist, and um, you know the whammer, you know the Babe Ruth yeah. of it all, and he strikes him out on three pitches, and it, you know you're like, wow, that you know that had to happen to Babe Ruth somewhere. All the barnstorming and all the other stuff. <laughs> so like, it just, it feels exactly like what you would imagine the magic of the of baseball would be. Yeah. It, it just, it captures it all so well. One of the funny parts about it is that the, the, the two, the two biggest parts of the movie kind of follow Roy Hobbs uh, at what we're, we're, what we're to expect is age 19, just out of high school. Yeah. And then uh, age 35, 16 years later. Um, so Robert Redford was 47 when he made this movie. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they, they kind of don't even like attempt to hide it that much. And no part of what no. I'm going to talk about, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. They, uh, you know, and in this movie, this movie actually went on to inspire a X-Files episode. Um, the unnatural. Yes, that's right. Uh <laughs> <laughs> which is uh which is always a fun connection. Yeah, I uh I did, there's, there's nothing about this movie that um that feels that feels out of place, you know, you know, uh, just the, the all the cast all the casting in this movie is great all the way through. I we were watching the movie and 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 Deirdre was like, "Is that Michael Madsen?" Cuz I mean, he's yeah. like he's like he looks to be like in his 20s in that movie. And um, and the 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 um the newscaster you know, bump barely goes through the wall, like just all the little yeah. pieces they added to it. And the music, you know, the that was the, the news, the, the, the broadcast guy was Barry Levinson. Was it really? Yep. He, he was great. You know, <laughs> he, he could quit directing any minute. And take <laughs> that job. He'd be fine. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, I mean, it just following him all the way through, and then the whole thing with the you know the the plays of uh, of good and evil with the with the black and white with the dresses and the, the light and dark thing that they play with throughout the course of the movie, which probably took two or three viewings before I really caught on to what they were doing with yeah. that because that was just you know me being a dumb kid watching movies and just enjoying the movie for what it was, not digging too deeply into it. Could um, you could you imagine not falling in love with Glenn Close? watching that movie as Roy Hobbs. I mean, it, and even as Kim Basinger, you know, as the, the, the sultry woman temptress. Right. I mean, Glenn Close, and and, and she didn't really st- like have a ton of time on the screen. Right. She's perfect in every single scene. It's just great. I don't know, her eyes are really close together, though. It kind of creeps <laughs> me out. <laughs> it weirds me out a little bit. I couldn't help but notice that I was watching this. And I'm like, wow, her eyes are really close together. That's- uh the goddess that I've heard today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, it's it's what I said. Are you joking right now? I can't tell. Me? Yeah. No, her eyes are close together. Oh, Glenn, cl- not cl- oh Glenn, close together. No, no, I didn't mean that. Even <laughs> I just realized that joke now, but. I, I I couldn't tell if you're kidding or not. So now I want to. Uh... No, no, because well, Mike brought it up, and I was just like, yeah, she's she's. I mean, she's really cute, considering you know you you, you know she really really comes more into her own, you know, and like another probably six or eight years after this is really she really reached kind of a pinnacle in that in that late '80s, early '90s, yeah, uh, in films, and I mean her her. Uh, her, her dangerous liaisons for me is always going to be like a pinnacle one of the, one of my pinnacles of her i mean that that movie blew me away the the first time i saw that and i you know i didn't know that st- i didn't know that story going into it um but that that movie just absolutely destroyed me uh latham okay well when i had well i look you know i hadn't seen it in a while so i looked at my own movie guide that i keep and it said my review was the base, the best baseball movie ever, period. And oh. I thought, you know what? I've seen a lot since then. I, you know, Moneyball. And there have uh, been a lot of baseball movies since then, too. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, it really is true. Most baseball movies are good or great. And most football movies are bad or not good. Um, save for a couple exceptions, I would say. But, uh, you know, I'm like... You know, there's I've seen a lot of baseball, you know, eight men outs, uh, yeah. Moneyball, uh, a great HBO movie from a long time ago called Long Gone with William Peterson. That oh, yeah, it's uh, most that's right. Gotten, uh, 61, yeah, 60, 40, 42, 42. Yep, how does it get any better? Holy cow, yeah, good point. And you know, I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe you're being a little bit, uh, over generous with the review. And then I watched it today and was happy that I was, that I felt the same way that I think this is the best baseball movie ever made. And it's, it's close to a flawless movie. It, it, in the way it's directed in the way it's paced, I think the way I relate that early shocking moment, if you're not ready for it, and if you haven't seen the movie, that's kind of like the reverse of if you've ever seen million dollar baby, the Clint Eastwood boxing movie with Hillary Swank. That moment happens near the end of Million Dollar Baby, but it happens near the beginning of The Natural. Right. And if you don't know the story, you're not ready for it. You're like, whoa, this was supposed to be your... T- I thought this was a baseball movie. <laughs> and now where are we going to go? And that's what makes the journey interesting from that point on. It feels to me almost like at times like 
it's a Greek myth of sorts. Like when the yeah. one out, when they have to get him into the game somehow and the outfielder dies and then they have this, this weird scene where they dump his ashes and it's just like, Whoa, that was <laughs> really quick resolution of a story point problem, but it, it works in context with the rest of the story. And it's, there's all these mythological moments in the movie. The, I, I'm glad, you know, obviously the fact that it's a baseball movie is what makes it so great, but this could be a movie about any sport. If you just interlace different, you know, parts of whatever game you are covering in it, it's really, you know, a story about, you know, fathers and sons and relationships and how friends, friends you make along the way influence your decisions in life. And I think that's, you know, a huge point of this is like the way people are in this film kind of push him a certain way, even though he's intent on what he wants to do and where he wants to go next. And you don't, you don't see that, um, uh, put forth on screen as smoothly as this movie does it very often. It's, and I, I credit it to Barry Levinson. I mean, he just, all his movies have this, like, I don't know, this like glow about them or, or don't, I don't want to say dullness to, to make, give it a bad connotation, but the way this movie looks and this just mood that hangs over it is, it feels real close to like what the human experience is and, and how we relate as we go along whatever journey we're on and his journey got interrupted and he pushed forward. And that's why this is like such a heroic story. And like Steve said, there's, you just remember these scenes in the movie after you've seen it that make you want to tear up. And that's not easy to manifest tears by thinking about a movie like that. But this is one of the few movies that lets you do it. The screenplay adaptation was written by two guys, Robert Town and Phil Dusenberry. Phil Dusenberry has two writing credits, and Robert Town has four. Did he what? Did he direct uh, Tequila Sunrise? Or am I wrong? No. Okay, I thought Robert Town sounds familiar. To your point, it's interesting that these and these guys were nominated for uh, for a best adaptation of uh, or for the from the Writers Guild for best adaptation of an existing. <laughs> Uh, media or big you know, adaptation ad- adapted screenplay that's cool the only other movie that that robert town had done that i'd heard of was the recruit with al pacino and colin farrell okay wow. i think way i'm later. thinking of robert, robert townsend maybe just by name i don't know didn't he do like hollywood shuffle or something i don't know robert oh, yeah, townsend, yeah, yeah 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 but that's robert that's, townsend, that's right? robert townsend right aren't yeah. we I yes, <laughs> I mixed up Robert. Town- yeah, I'm sorry. I mixed up Robert Town and Robert Townsend. My bad. They have nothing to do with each other. Oh, bad connotation. It's it's no. You're 100 percent right. It's two different Robert Towns. Oh, both spelled the same way. Who? What? What did the other Robert Town do? Uh, he robbed a town a lot. <laughs> but but it wasn't uh, Hollywood Shuffle. That was Townsend. Yes. Uh, no, Townsend. the other Robert, the the other Robert Town wrote Chinatown. I knew it had something to do oh. with the town. I'm sorry, I can't. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> Did he really? I thought. What's his name wrote Chinatown? Um, that William. Well, he didn't. Do, he 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 has a written by credit, not a screenplay credit. Okay. Didn't William Goldman write one? Eh. We're kind of going down a rabbit hole where uh, all the bunnies have left. Nope. It's got <laughs> Robert Town has sole writing credit on Chinatown. 
Okay, my bad. That's what that's what I was thinking of is the guy from Chinatown, I think. So, but he, uh, but this guy uh, only had four writing credits. You said, yeah, yeah, this guy and Phil Dusenberry. The only other things I'd say, you know, again, likening this to like a Greek myth is the fact that Redford does very. They do very little to change his age from when he's young to when he's old. You know, to when he's playing baseball with his, well not to ruin the end of the movie till the last scene where he's, where he's uh, throwing yeah. a baseball around with somebody. I mean, it's just, that makes it mythological that it's just this archetype character. That's just rolling through this, this story. And this is what happens to people that act like he does. And I thought, I think it works. I don't think it ever betrays it or doesn't make it work. When you say that factoid, he was, well, how old was he when he filmed this 40, 47. Yeah. But you don't even, most people never bring that up. I've never, I've never even thought about that while watching this film. So that's right. a testament to how it's made as well. Um, and then the last point I'd make, just a weird one, but it kind of saves itself in the end. I mean, you've got, you know, for, for the majority of this movie, for two-thirds of this movie, you've got, you, you've got two main female characters who are both, you know, pretty awful. And... Uh, the rest of this movie is all male and you really need, I, I don't know. When I was watching, I was like, wow, this is kind of a, you know, it's kind of making a very, you know, anti-feminist film here. And then Glenn Close kind of redeems it towards the end. It just seems very divisive in the three parts with female one, female two, and then female three. Uh, and, you know, kind of like you said, Steve, she just, she can play anything. She can play a villain as she yep. has in you know, fatal attraction. She can numerous things. She can play a uh, heroine. She can play a beauty. She can play, you know, some more plain looking and she just gets away with it all. That's how good of an actress she is. And, and she's, uh, you know, she really holds, she really is like the glue that holds the third part of this movie together. So, I, I mean, I, I, just, yeah. I adore this movie. It's, it's top 100 easy for me. Your your comments about Greek myth are funny because this is one of the things that's been brought up by some people about this movie is about the fact that there's these direct ties on it's it's the Odyssey it's the you know Roy Hobbs is Odysseus trying to find his way home uh, Max Mercy is Vulcan he can make or break you sure uh, and he's and he's always seen in red or brown clothing uh, Pop Fisher is Zeus king of the gods his uniform number is one. In both the oak tree and the lightning bolt, uh, are you know, of his symbols, the judge Hades, always in the dark, dead or judged in the underworld. Memo Paris is uh, Calypso, a sea nymph who had an affair with Odysseus and held or distracted him from returning home. Uh, Gus Sands is the Cyclops because he's got that, he has, oh, he, wow. he has the glass eye, um, wow. so he has only got the one eye. Um, you know, Iris Gaines is Penelope, wife of Odysseus, is Roy's true love from which he was separated for 16 years. Huh. And then Hubris, which, of course, is, you know, state Roy states his goal for the people to say that there goes Roy Hobbs, the best that ever was in this game, which is, you know, the Greeks considered this to be hubris and that that per, for, for the for the crime of hubris, that the the person would often suffer turmoil. I mean, I pulled that out of my ass. So that's very good validation. <laughs> It's, that's it's funny because I also I also found another another bit that they were talking about how it's the it's the story of Sir Percival from the Arthurian myth, 
which is the, the broken bat is the broken sword. Pop Fisher is the Fisher King. The pendant is the Holy Grail. And the team are called the Knights. Rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. That's great, though. It's, I mean, that's it's like uh, room 237 or whatever. Yes, exactly. Know. I now like it more. <laughs> they say universal, you know, if you read, what is it? The power of myth by what's his name? Uh, Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there are certain stories that they say are like embedded within us and with the human experience. And this one, maybe that's why this one resonates so well with so many people yep. because it's, they just tapped into it perfectly. I mean, I'm kind of shocked hearing about the, uh, how do you say his name? Malamud. Uh, the yeah his novel I mean that's there if they changed everything that that book must have a completely different theme and purpose than what you get out of the movie yeah and I get how they could make it I just I would want to hear what he would say like like I, I would say what do you think of the theme of the movie and what was the theme you were going for because it's obviously not the same as the movie theme. well it's interesting and I'm really interested in going back and reading the book now because I would really like to, like you, I would like to know, A, all the differences, but, and also how you would read that and in your head see what get what we end up with on screen and how you'd be like, oh, well, here's what we'll change and then we'll make all this better. I, I was so thankful that I read the book first and saw the movie second. Yeah. Because I, I really enjoyed the book and I think in reverse, I would have hated the book. Oh, okay. Because I loved the movie so much. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, I think there was something different. Like, I can't remember. It's been a very long time. But you have Barbara Hershey in the beginning sort of lead Roy Hobbs astray, uh, 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 off the beaten path kind of thing. And then Kim Basinger pops up as Memo. <clears throat> and she's basically the exact same character. This beautiful, seductress. Um, and it goes, as you kind of mentioned, to his ego, the, the hubris of it all. Memo, and, you're right. We have met before. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and at the whole time, you have that whole perfect picture of what he needed in his life with, with Glenn Close as Iris. Right. And, and you needed just his own stupidity to get out of his head to start making a better decision. Because even when he hooks up with, with uh, Kim, the whole game falls apart the way Bump Bailey did. Yeah, And you, you see all these examples in front of him in his own life over and over again. And a, a part of the book had that where he just kept repeating the same mistakes. And he did have this magical destiny, the lightning bolt, the tree, the wonder boy bat, all that cool stuff. He had this destiny and he kept derailing. And the minute he would get back on, you would see his powers return to him. He would hit the cover off the ba baseball. He could catch anything. He could throw anything. He could do anything. And 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 the movie played that up more, and that's where you got that that right ending. And the book played up his constant human failure, as opposed to the the godlike destiny that he had as this this god given talent and skill as a baseball player. Yeah, th th those. I, and I, I want to reread the book again because the more I think about it, I remember the themes were in there. It's just how they played out were very different. Yeah, Hassan. Um, I did enjoy the movie. Uh, however. I Did you seen it before? No, this is the first time I ever oh. saw it. Wow. Okay. There were some issues I had with it, such as see, unlike, and I, I mean, this it sucks going third because 
hearing everybody's uh take on like the the mythological aspect of it which i yeah i i got a i got a supernatural vibe from the film in and of itself which is fine with me i'm i'm i like those things uh tremendously but well you complain to me about going first you complain to me about going last where do you want to go in the order i don't want to go at all i don't want to ever talk about it <laughs> oh, <River>. okay <laughs> if you have to ask i mean you know <laughs> Do we steal all the good points, Hassan? No, no, not really. Um, oh, okay. I think it would have worked better for me if he was if they didn't show Robert Redford as a forty-seven-year-old man in the beginning, who was supposed to be a young man. Um, because I kind of got a little lost. Like, okay, how many years later is this? Also, it it, it there's a there's a strong quality of. I thought he was okay. I'll tell you what I thought. I thought he was dead. Oh, well, you could. I thought he had. I thought he had died, and had been sent back to do this one thing, and then he you was going to leave again, because. Oh, interesting! It just kind of interesting. Take. It just kind of stops at him getting shot, but he's the same person. Now, what kind of throws that off is when you get people like Brimley telling them, like, people your age don't start playing ball. Right. So it's like, okay, so wait a minute. So his, the way he looks is not like an anachronism. He's, he's, we're supposed to believe he is, he is aging. And then, you know, various moments in the story, he said, you know, when people ask him where he's been and what he's been doing, um, He's like, I've just been here and there. You know, I've been doing things. But, yeah. but they indicate that that time has passed. The way it worked originally, because he was so mum about his about his whereabouts and what, you know, what he's been doing since he's been, you know, since he was shot. I thought, like, well, he's, you know, obviously he's, this is a, he's on furlough. Limbo. Yeah, he's on <laughs> furlough. And this is his last chance at, <laughs> you know, doing something real special for what he wanted to do for himself. Where did that? Where does the train scene at the beginning take place in the timeline? Uh, I believe that that's the train. Yeah, he's on his to way. Take him to New York. Which which train scene? Because it it it, it him sitting at the station the, during the, the title card shot of the movie. That's yeah, for him that's, before he starts playing. Yeah, after the farm, he went back to the farm he's, to get the bat, and then he's waiting at the train station. I think with the bat. Or no, I think he he's going from the farm team to New York. I don't think he was going back to the farm to get the bat. I mean, there's well, there's no... a scene. I don't. I don't this remember that. After the bat, I would say it's after the bad thing that happens at the early part of the movie. We're we're past that. No, it kind of intersplices with that. I think. Okay. Okay. Because doesn't the doesn't the bad thing happen in? Okay, so so how Chicago. how I remember it happening? He's waiting at the train station. He gets on the train. Then he starts. Then it. Then obviously there's a flashback where he is, uh, you know, suddenly he has friends there. Suddenly he's talking to other people. So I interpret that as okay, this is a different time. And he's wearing different clothes. So, I mean, I interpret that as this is a different time. Yeah, he has uh, the interaction with uh, the guy who's supposed to be Babe Ruth and uh, with Whammer. And he he strikes him out, and he does have that comment where he wants everybody that I don't know if he says it or his friend says it. I don't remember clearly. He says, "I want everybody to you know I want to walk down the street and someone says you know there goes he does yeah, okay." So it's a conversation that's the, when he has dinner with Harriet Bird on the train. Yeah, so all right. of that happens after the the station though. 
he's already on the train yes. when all the rest of that stuff happens. But okay, right. Okay. You see, my my understanding is, is the scene. Like I said, there's that opening shot of him slouching in the chair with his bag, and he's waiting for the train. And the train rolls by. It never stops, but the train rolls by, and when it goes by, he's gone. Mm. Right. And then you're on the train. Yeah, that's another thing that lent to the supernatural aspect of like the guy's not really alive. He just jump on the train, or you know. No, I'm just saying he's not really there. Right. He's he's you know he's an angel, or he's you know he's he's a right. spirit that's come back to do this one thing that he never that's got a chance to do I, because he got I, murdered. I never thought about it. Never thought about it that way. That's an interesting take. Well, what kind of ruins that is when they start <laughs> uncovering it, and then they show him pictures of this, you know. Which they show his child. Yeah, no, they show him pictures of the of of the incident in the at the hotel, right? And it's like, well, wait a minute, where did they get a picture of him? If he survived, how did they get a picture of him on the floor? You know, usually they take the cops take a guy to the right. hospital Crime before they start taking pictures yes. of him. You know, that's just a, hold out. It's that's just, a good. That's a good point. Just, just hang, hang tough. Just bleed. You know, and I'm just gonna get this. I need to focus, and then. Sure. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the movie with uh, with Danny DeVito where he's the the crime scene photographer for the for the tabloid? Uh, isn't that a L.A. Confidential? There's a there's a part of L.A. Confidential that has that aspect, but there's another movie with Danny DeVito. Yeah. Go, go ahead. I know what you're. Ta- I know what movie you're talking about. I don't remember the name of it. They called Tattle or something like that. Um. Scandal. Maybe? Yeah. So 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 there's that. The thing. So that was a little off. That put me off a little bit to 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 get into it. Um, there are other other supernatural things, you know, from from my perspective, not of uh, not myself, not making the conclusions of the the Greek mythology at all. But like the fact that you know when they all started to wear his lightning, they all started to play better. Everybody started to you know to things started to improve. But there were, I think, the movie for me was very slow. It was very, very slow, and uh, from my personal taste, it was maddeningly vague, like very purposefully vague. And then, and from in my from my feelings, they would have a lot of scenes with people having deep conversations where they weren't saying anything, you know, and that as a personal it doesn't mean that the the scene is bad by any stretch of the imagination as a personal peeve that drives me crazy where they speak in vagaries and whatever so i kind of couldn't get on i was not like i couldn't get on board it just didn't it didn't inspire me you know it didn't it didn't rock my world as a film i i really did i uh i really did hope that he would you know, get his way in the end. I really did like that. He didn't, that he decided not to take the money and he took, you know, he talked the pitcher out of, you know, throwing the game. There, there, there are things I did like that end scene is ridiculous, but the the problem with that ending um, with the lights is that was in all the trailers. So you already knew that it was, you know, like, Oh, come on guys. You know, don't, don't show this amazing (laughs) moment, you know, in the trailer. That's, that's kind of, I mean, and also like back then in 1984, they basically just told you how the film was going to end. They told you how the Karate Kid was going to end. I remember how they used to do that in the old movies. Like, this movie is a feel-good movie or whatever. And then they show the end with, you know, Daniel, like, you know, holding a trophy. I'm like, well, I guess that's... <laughs> I guess we know what's going to happen there. 
So you just go to those movies <laughs> to be inspired, you know. I and I get that. I don't really have an issue with it. It's about the journey, yeah, yes, of course. <laughs> um, but the my my problem with it was just it was just it was, I just felt it was really indulgent in how like it just <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell you what I think you need to know, and I'm gonna take my time, and I'm gonna do it in this old timey you know 1939 <laughs> language. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna sit there and you're gonna fucking deal with it you know and that's uh, because even in i i might have missed something even glenn close was like uh who the hell is this now you know like where's now it you if you're if you have any savvy whatsoever you do you kind of pick up on it pretty quick but it's it they never really you know, there's certain things that he says that indi- that give you more indication. Because at first, I thought that was his sister. Was they showed a girl on the farm? They showed his sister on the farm when he was playing. No, baseball. that was her. She lived in the farm across the well, street. Well, I didn't see. I didn't know that. That was to me. That was vague. I might have missed you that. Weren't, you weren't paying attention. Fine. When he was first, when the first time they show him as a so little got kid that playing little girl catch pregnant. with his dad, that's terrible. There's a little. It's a terrible story, well, yes, Steve. That, it's terrible. Ah, uh, well, you know. <laughs> It was a yeah, rough. But, it was a rough was time a rough in the twenties. <laughs> also, like, when did he get this girl pregnant? That he, the kid shows up, but it's not like the timeline doesn't make sense. Sure it does. That was one of the. I thought that too, Mike. But then when I when they show him standing next to her in the stands, yeah. he looks like he could be fifteen years old. It's, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, even that, like you, you kind of. It's kind of. She mentions that's his son in hearsay. It right. is weird, vague thing that you it was over yes. here and you're like come on mm-hmm. like you know the not that doesn't that didn't bother me but it was like there's there's a lot of stuff that i really liked but it's just it just didn't tie together i think for me because all right there there are and i have you know what the other thing is i do really have to watch it again um i think watching it again probably not with all the greek uh, uh overtures to it <laughs> well, i mean i'm sure that all works. I mean, there's there are if you do if you don't apply the, the the mythology, there are some weird choices that make more sense when you apply the mythology. Just like the judge being in the dark and having a long speech yeah. about I'm in yeah. the dark, you know, like what? And yeah, yeah and the cyclops. Child, I was afraid of the dark, yeah, but I've now um, overcome it so greatly uh, that now I prefer yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that old timey talk. Like, come on, man, you're not even <laughs> making any sense, right? It's a canard. Yes, you know, like it's a lie, a prevarication, yeah. a lie. <laughs> Like, okay, dude, and even Redford looked like he wanted to hit that guy with a bat. You know, yeah. like can we, can we get on with it? You know, like I got other oh, scenes damn, to film man. today. Can we please do this? I liked it. I really did like it. I didn't think it was a. I didn't think it was a bad movie at all. I just think there were some things that just kind of struck me as weird. Like, um, like Latham says, the fact that Barbara Hershey shoots him was completely out of nowhere. I'm like, oh. Well, if you're paying it, if you're paying attention at the beginning of the train scene when they're when him and Sam are on the train and they talk about Max Mercy talks about the fact that somebody had just killed the guy who was generally accepted to be the best football player. Mm -hmm. So clearly that there was someone going around killing off athletes who were like the best in their profession. She was going to kill the whammer. Right. She was there to kill the whammer. Why? Until. Huh? Why was she there to kill the whammer? She's a serial uh, killer. She, <laughs> like yeah, then, just, that was but then that was her. Uses to kill herself after that. It. I mean, it doesn't even uh, matter. It's just it doesn't. But I that think was her if, jam. Whatever. See now, see that's 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 the the problem I had. I think if they took that, 
frankly, if they took Duval out of the film completely because he just did nothing but piss me off and annoyed the fuck out of me and i use i really like robert duvall but he was well and that was the beauty of that character though because that because the truth that he speaks at the end is 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 part of the the underpinnings of this whole movie you know like he said guys like you come and go he's like i'm gonna be here i was here before you were here and i'm you guys i i make and break the likes of you he goes, I'm I'm the guy that makes this game. I'm here to protect the game. You're the game. I'm Which here to protect very the game. A writer thing to do. Too. Yes, yes. I, and, and and Duvall was. But the you're not wrong, Hassan. He did piss you off too. I I did. He, he was the he was the representation of all that bad stuff coming up again, and he was constantly chasing I Redford. I know the way in Redford's head that stuff was there, which I which I do everything you said. I don't disagree with at all. Um, but whereas you found it annoying, I found it syrupy, sweet, and charming. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, yeah, he played a great character. The other thing is that I'm, and I'm, the other thing is, is I'm discovering now that as, as Brad Pitt is kind of getting into the age of where Robert Redford was kind of when our generation started to get into real movie watching. I'm finding that I feel like Brad Pitt is more than ever is really almost a reincarnation of Robert Redford. I feel that those two guys are, you know, and I'm glad that they've done a movie together, but I feel like there was, there was mannerisms that I'm watching in this movie that I couldn't put my finger on. I'm like, God, where have I seen this before? And it did. It wasn't until the end of the movie that it dawned on me that Brad Pitt has a lot of the same physical mannerisms that Robert Redford uses in his films. And I don't know if he does it on purpose or if it's just a happenstance thing, but he's one of those guys who is just incredibly good looking, who's an incredibly talented actor who, who becomes a character almost seemingly without trying and you never feel like he's acting, but you never see, you never don't see whatever character that actor is playing in the role he's in. All right. Imagine a remake of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid with Clooney and Pitt. Yeah. To me, those guys represent this generation's version of those two and those ocean 11's movies captured that. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd buy that. I'd pay to go see that after a pandemic. <laughs> Directed by Clint Eastwood. Nah, nah, yeah. we don't. <laughs> nah, we need a better choice than that. My issue with uh, the Duvall character, basically, is that when he reveals the crime scene photos... To Iris? Yeah, it kind of that that's kind of where I got off the movie because now it took away the supernatural angle that I thought they were on because if he's got pictures of it, then that means that all of this is really happening. You know, there's, this is all really happening in a, in a kind of linear uh, narrative as opposed to uh, kind of, it has a supernatural angle to it. Um, right, but he already you already knew that the photos existed because the judge showed him to Robert yeah, Redford before that. Also, that. that was another problem I had. As soon as those photos okay. showed up, that was that was an issue. I'm like, mm, okay, you know that 
that kind of that that kind of just means all of this really happened, and Redford was just really just wandering the earth until he got back on the the horse here. And yeah. I think for me, it was coming off much more powerfully that he was an entity coming back to fulfill one last, you know, one wish that he had that he never got to fulfill because he got to, you know, prematurely murdered, you know, in this. Right. And so when it just all started to turn into like it, it, it you know, when it, when it all just revealed itself to be a baseball movie, a movie about a guy, yeah. <laughs> an old guy coming back to play baseball. Oh, I was like, it is just a baseball movie. It's not, it wasn't just, oh. there's no such thing as just a baseball movie, <laughs> but it's just, it, oh, it's just about this old guy who's playing baseball again, yeah. you know? And no, no, I, and yeah. so that would, that kind of like, oh, <laughs> all right, you know, I, I'll <laughs> go with you on this, you know, and I like that, I liked his son and I liked getting rid of Kim Bessinger and that, you know, that also the whole thing where she pulls out a gun to shoot him while he's, you know, turning down this offer and revealing himself to be a person with like integrity. And I get that she thought that, you know, maybe she was really falling in love and she thought that they were going to run away with $20,000 after, you know, but it's, it was just another weird beat. Like, what is this, you know? And then if she had, well, that- if she had shot at him and he was like, hey, give me the gun, you know, because I'm already dead. Yeah. You know, there's, so, so it's not that the film doesn't work at all. It's that the way that the impression I got about the film stopped working. And so that was right. like, oh, all right, well, all right, that's still good. I still like that last scene with the, you know, the sparks. Yeah. Yeah. It still works, you know. And but yeah. that's that's kind of how I saw it. All right. <laughs> there's just there, there's just so many things in the movie that that come to pass, and I mean, just the way like it, the the writing, like you said, the the right the kind of the 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 language of the period, and like you know how you know he really just comes across as like this simple guy, you know, and like we said, the first time he meets the judge and he says, it's a canard and he's like, and he just goes, what's that? Yeah. No, you know, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't pretend to know what it is. He doesn't, he's just like, what are you talking about? And that's all great. If you can see how that that kind of, for me, that lends to him. Like I am here for one thing. He's just so straight. He's so straightforward. There's just like, there's no, I am back on this earth for this one thing. I'm not here to, you know, yeah. I'm not here to talk to you about your political bullshit or how, who you, (laughs) you know, whether you, whether or not who's going to own the ballpark when it's over the same with Wilford Brimley, when he wouldn't play him and he was just, he would just stand there and just intensely be there. But he was, you know, he 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 wasn't complaining, bitching, moaning, staring, threatening. He was just there, and it, in, in, and the only time he actually got annoyed was when this guy was doing his really weak sermon about losing, and he was like, "Losing is yeah. like a disease." He's like, he's like, okay. like small, you know. I am on bar the borrowed time here, fellas. I'm not, I'm not burning my life minutes I, like sitting I in this room, to do. yeah, listening to this bullshit, and so. Like, I I just, I was finding it all so like, okay, this is kind of deep, you know? And then when they just kind of got into the stuff, no, I was I like, oh, it. man. Oh, man. I get it. I get it. Don't, don't get intricate now. Stay, stay old timey <laughs> and simple, you know? Like, <laughs> what do you mean, man, son? <laughs> old timey with a Y. Careful now, you're going to bend your bat. Um, so anyway, but. <laughs> old timey, his son. Huh? The word old timey. Listen here, whatever. Listen, listen here, yeah. <laughs> So that is the natural. All right. 
Sounds good. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, <clears throat> that's close to pretty much. Ra- oh no! Hang on a second. I'm gonna go get some dinner if you don't mind. You go. You go grab some McRibs before they go out of. Uh, <laughs> before no, they they go off the menu. Something in my fridge because we're done. So right. Oh shoot! You know something. <laughs> One more thing we got to do. Oh, we're not done. No, I'm afraid we got to take the uh, we got to take the Commodore on one last run. The, the commode? What was the, it? The Commodore, the ship that they took out of the that they oh. stole from the Grandmaster. Where the are we taking Michael? What's that, Mike? M- Michael, Commodore. we have to do this every week. What? I'm just letting you know that this what the routine that's happening right before your eyes right now. We do this. Every I week. don't know what so. I'm talking about. I just want to know where the goddamn <laughs> Commodore is going. <laughs> Down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Such a long, Why? long way to get there. Why? Why? <laughs> And we will start with the natural posters, which is a shockingly low number of, of fan posters for this film. I was I was I literally spent two hours using every search term I could find for this movie, and I found two fan posters. It was embarrassing. For the so, natural? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was shocked that there was there was so little out there considering, you know, I mean, well, I'm None of them have that big exploding light at the end. That's just because it hasn't been put out into a, you know, it hasn't been uh, adapted by a, a large group, a large enough group of artists who would sort of attack it from all different sides, you know, yeah. and, and attack from, from everywhere. But we'll start off here with the USA poster. This is the poster. There's one of two posters, really. Um, th- this is the one most everyone knows. And it's, uh, it's nice. It gives you a nice mythological, you know, it's him as a him as a teenager getting ready to leave, and then you know the the mythological older overlooking down over the two of them. And then the next one is the is the other one, uh, USB poster, which is uh, just a that shot from the end, just a nice still of him throwing a ball. Doesn't really do other other than telling you. I mean, the first one doesn't tell you it's a baseball movie at all. It could have been. No. It doesn't. It doesn't know what the fuck kind of movie it could be. Looks like an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, when what year did the first Indiana Jones? Is that eighty four? Uh, that was uh, eighty. Was it eighty one? Eighty one. Eighty one. Okay. So yeah, guy, guy in a fedora and a leather jacket. Maybe they were trying yeah. to cap. Maybe they were trying to capture a temple of doom. When did when did this come out? What time of the year? You know. Uh, it came out in May, I believe. Yeah, May eleventh. Oh, that's when Temple of Doom came out. Oh, Obviously, trying to steal Temple of Doom's thunder, a superior cool. film. Oh. No. Anywho, so on to the UK quad, which is the same image from the USB poster. Uh, and all the all the foreign posters I found were just the that standard image, the the, the USA image with uh, this the title done in their own language. No, not a lot of not a lot of difference to them. Uh, but one of the two art po- artist posters I found was a guy named Jay Gordon, which is the first one. She's kind of got kind of got everybody in there. Yeah. Cute design. Pop and red and Bobby. 
Glenn Close popping up in the back. Glenn Close popping up. Max Mercy with the camera. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, you decided to join us, Slay? Uh, that's good. Uh, I mean, I don't. This one, it's taking a while to load. I don't. All right. It took a lot of work to make it. I'll just leave it at that. <clears throat> Doesn't look like him, though. N- no, none of them are. None of the, the likenesses are dead on. Uh, and then the second one was by just a piece I found by Tim Murphy. Again, not a lot to either one of these. Wow. Uh, it looks like a baseball card. It does a little bit. But yeah, I just uh, that, that's it. That's all there. That's all I could find. As if no one's no one's really gone after this this property at all in any in any real capacity, which is which is kind of sad. So, uh, and we have. I'm pretty we, thirsty, Stevie. Yeah, I'm kidding, you, 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 I, I, I was just <laughs> trying to make Hassan think I was starting a new shtick, but I wasn't. I was. <laughs> well, we've done this shtick before, so may I offer you a martini? <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> So, uh, so <laughs> we, <laughs> so we have, uh, we have been down the Barry Levinson road before when we, uh, covered diner, uh, several months ago, but, um, Mike was, Mike was not present. So, uh, so let's say Mike, if you look up, uh, films by Barry Levinson, has he made a bad movie? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I mean, he really hasn't. Uh, wow. We just did. Yeah, well, we did Diner, obviously. So. Um, he's only 78, too. This guy could crank out a few more. Did you guys happen to see the news about Richard Donner this week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a shit show that's going to be. What happened? The he's 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 full on board with they're doing Lethal Weapon Five with all all the original cast and he's coming back to direct it. And he said, "Is going to be in it?" He said, "He's it's going to be the last one." Who? Pesci. Joe oh, Pesci. that's a good that's a good question. I don't know. He had they had kind of moved him out by the fourth one anyway. He's a tertiary character in four. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. He's ninety one yeah. years old. I'm sorry, that was like four people talking at the same time. Richard okay. Donner is 91 years old. Yeah. What? Yeah, he's 91. So he's going to need animation fluid to direct. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, always, toys always is, taking is not it a good somewhere movie. bad. Toys really bad. Toys I don't is not know a if good I would say. I don't know if I would say Toys is not a... I did see that. I think I saw it in the movie theater. I don't love it. It could have been a million times better, but it was cool. Okay. Colorful it was. Yeah. Uh, Old J was in it and uh, Robin Williams and the villain. Yeah. I forget who the villain was. The villain was good. Yeah. I think he's got, he kind of tails down a little bit later on down the line here. Yeah. I, I, honestly, admittedly, I haven't seen some of these. I don't, films. I don't, I don't think sphere and is an 11% movie. It's not a very good movie. No, but it's not, not an eleven percent. It's not eleven percent movie. Yeah, it's a little. Eh, yeah, uh, is bandits is eh. Good morning, Vietnam. Holy cow! Yeah, I forgot it. I mean, it's it's hard to pick his best movie. What What's your favorite, Michael? It's it's really difficult, isn't it? It's 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 Good Morning Vietnam or The Natural. And yeah, I, yeah, mine's The Natural. 
depending Rain on Man which be up there too for me. But. Rain Man's probably right there. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just in the eight, like 80, 80s to ni- late nineties. He just he just cranked them out home run after yeah. home. Run. Yeah. Oh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I didn't plan that. Those, that's why it worked. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you did not get the black hat. <laughs> that's good. I got four earlier. Ugh. Wasn't just you. <laughs> no, it usually. I have, I have no memory of bandits. It's Kate Blanchett, um, Bruce Willis, Billy Bob. I don't remember. Yeah, it's like a road, almost like a road movie, right? A road movie where they rob something. Yes. They, it's... I I don't remember I don't remember it either. I remember that much, but I remember it wasn't very. And that's yeah, it's not very memorable. Um, who wrote that one? Harley Payton wrote it. Wow, Twin Peaks vet. Okay, I probably like it better now. Oh, in that case, I better rewatch it. It's going to get oh, a much better review. It was written by someone who wrote Twin Peaks. Oh, Kyle MacLachlan stars in it. Must be great. <laughs> Mod Deeb. Hell is that? <laughs> What is going on? I don't know. I just don't. Get it. <laughs> so it's like, what's happening? <laughs> I, I know we're not talking about this. It has nothing to do with uh, this podcast, but what do you guys think of the Dune people fighting HBO Max? Uh, I mean, uh, hey, it's kind of cool. I think that uh, Denis and the other producers uh, have every right to. to for to fight for what they want to see happen to the film. I mean, I can understand their position. I don't know that at the end of the day, I don't know that it's going to change anything or help them very much, but I mean, that's fine. I mean, listen, if people aren't going to the movie theater yet, the theaters are still open enough to let people see them yet. People still aren't going. I don't think opening it day and date online on HBO Max is going to help or hurt the box office of the film. I, I think it's just going to be like people <clears throat> People will be like, well, we've waited eight months for this movie, waiting another six or seven, who cares? You know? I guess, but, yeah, I mean. Because they know it'll be, they know it's coming to, to, they know it'll come to VOD eventually. So why, why not just wait? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a real good point. Uh, waiting is i think i think the people who i think i think them releasing it online is not going to change the people who are willing to go and see it in a theater at that time anyway Mm. okay i think the people who are willing to and you know listen i i don't know where the numbers are going to look like at that point of how many people have been vaccinated and how and how where where overall we are as returning to I'm not even going to say normal, but returning to some semblance of some simulation of normality, uh, or at least before the vid. And I, you know, if we're in a good place and it comes out, then people are returning to theaters. Then great. Then yeah, it'll make a it'll make a big difference. But I just don't see how them fighting so hard, you know. And again, if it's one of those situations where 
you know, they have told him ahead of time, well, we're not going to do the second movie unless this movie just goes completely gangbusters and blows this thing out of the park. And then they turn around and basically hamstring him and say, well, since we're going to do it online and in theaters at the same time, there's literally mathematically no way that we can say that your movie made this much. So therefore, you're never getting a second movie no matter what. I can see definitely where they would want to fight to try and make it theater first and theater only because they think that that's the, that's the pathway to success. I just don't think that it's going to make that much of a difference that quickly. That's true. It probably won't. I mean, if they held this, if listen, if they held the movie till 2022 and released it, then it would probably make a difference. I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any upside or downside other than the fact that they've already have money spent on this film of just letting it sit in the can and holding it until a time at which we've returned to a sort of full access life when it comes to movie theater going. If that's if that's the path that they really think that is best for them, then that's the fight that they that's the stance they should take. They should take. No, we only want this in theaters and we're not doing this until life is returned to a time when people are going to movies again, in which case it's either, you know, mid to late next year or possibly 2022. Yeah. Choosing things might be irrelevant. So you could write about it, but choosing your choices, you might not have choices. So you can pretend you have them. But when it comes time to get put something out there, you may not have the choices that you claimed you were fighting for. Right. And I don't and I don't see how they can say, you know, I don't understand how what success they assign to a film on any sort of monetary scale by how many views it got on their streaming service. Well, Wonder Woman got greenlit for a third one already. So third third and fourth, actually. Oh, okay. So there's some measurement. Well, I, well, yeah, but they made that announcement literally the day it was released. So I think that that was the timing thing. That was just, they knew they were going to go down that road with it, no matter what happened. I don't think that's going to change. I think that they still feel that, that she's still the best bet for that, you know, for that yeah. world in there. And, you know, listen, that that's the one they've managed to, to, to work out at least the, some of the kinks with. Um, I, I feel that the next James Wan Aquaman movie is going to be at least as entertaining as the one we got. I know a lot of people don't feel like don't, didn't enjoy that very much. And I, I felt exactly the opposite. I enjoyed Aquaman. I thought it, obviously it still has flaws. I think black Manta was a waste of time in that movie. All they did was, all they did was set him up to be there and get the shit kicked out of him at the end. And then it's like, why didn't you just spend, if you're going to do that, why not just set them all up and then make him the main bad guy for the next film? But instead, we 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 set him up and then kicked the shit out of him just to have someone from the comics for him to fight. And it was just it was a pointless add on, I felt, for that movie. We're going to have to have a private talk about Aquaman, Steve, off air, off air. (laughs) I think they should just make the deal that uh, Gal Gadot made. Whereas if they're going to be forced to, to show the film on a streaming service, then you, we're, they're going to want guarantees that they're going to be able to make that third movie. You know, it, we got extenuating circumstances here. We got, a you know, centuries, you know, a, a once in a century pandemic. 
We've got, uh, you know, people afraid to go to movie theaters. We got the movie industry in the worst shape it's been since, I don't know, I don't know, the 1920s. So, yeah, you know, if you can, we, we're not going to protest you putting this movie on a streaming service so that other people will get to see it. But we want guarantees. Like, you know, Gal Gadot and, and what's her name? Jenkins got their $10 million bonuses, you know, and that Wonder Woman is mm-hmm. not going to make the money. The, the billion dollars that they were supposed to it was supposed to make before they were they they get their green light for their ten million dollars, but it was the compromise. It would, it, and honestly, and it wouldn't it wouldn't have gotten there anyway. In theory, uh, no word of word of mouth would have knocked it down to, to uh, reaching know. that. That's, There's there've been worse movies that that made a ton of money. You know they've. Been, Oh, well, that's very true. All of them begin with the word transformers, but I mean, that's, you know, here and or there. I'm just saying that I don't think, I think that the, the, the prevailing world of, of superhero film and it's film going uh, audience, first of all, you're going to have to be, you're, you have to be good. First of all, and the problem DC has is they have a terrible reputation of not being good to begin with. So everyone expects the DC movies to be bad. Uh, You know, you don't expect the wonder woman movies to be bad because the first one was pretty good. So the problem with going into this one was, you know, you show up and you have a better than average, but still a better than average film, not a great film. Uh, I think that you would have, you, you know, you might've hit, Listen, on opening weekend and everything else and worldwide, every, all the other box office included, you probably would have hit six or seven hundred million. No problem without even trying. I don't think this movie would have made a billion dollars. I just I just don't think so. I don't think it had the legs. I didn't think Aquaman. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think Aquaman was going to do it, but it did it. I think this one had a shot. Or or Captain Marvel, you know, which. Yeah, which got ripped like nonstop, like endlessly before it even came out. Yeah, but the problem with is the people. Well, yeah, but Captain Marvel was not a Captain Marvel was a better film than Wonder Woman W nineteen eighty four. It was, but I'm. I mean, I don't even think it's the quality of film at that point that we're talking about. You know, right? But I think that the 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 vitriol that was sprayed at captain marvel was a lot of the old comic book boy fanboy world being incomprehensibly unprepared for a female-led superhero film and being so positively woman forward you know regardless of the regardless of whether or not they'll admit to it That's that's essentially the core of that. And we all know that is, you know, at the, at, at the end of the day, there are a bunch of guys hiding in their basements who can't stand the fact that there are strong women in the world because they don't know how to talk to them. So <laughs> F them. Fair enough. <laughs> and, that, and that's all. And honestly, that's all monk. That's that's the core of the monkey business. OK. All right. It's crazy. That's fair. But I think yeah. I think that Wonder Woman. I think Wonder Woman would have had a, 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 a the opening weekend would have been huge, but I think that it, I think that its second weekend you would have seen a sixty percent drop in in box office. For sure. All right, I'm just saying. All right, I got a movie this weekend. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm just 
I'll be. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing what you what you think, uh, Mike. After you I'm see just saying, so. the doing guys That's should a... make a, a deal if they're gonna. If they, I mean, I don't know about protesting to get themselves to be in movie theaters because that's the kind of thing that you do. You don't know. You don't know what the future is going to be like. You might be fighting to to, to yeah. cripple yourself, you know. And so, look, if... have they? Did they give a date, a, a move date for that film for no, Dune? Was it March or was it just 2021? Yeah, sometime in 2021. I don't know exactly when, but I'm sure it's okay. going to be in a succession some somewhere really close after uh, Justice League is released, you know, so that they could keep it. I mean, uh, yeah, Justice League. There's... Why? What are those two things? Because got to that's do with an each HBO Max and it was going to be, uh, Dune was going to be off on HBO Max also. So they're going to have them probably drop one two three months after each you know in succession with each other so that they can mm-hmm. keep the content going maybe yeah uh, especially with the announcement that came out in the last day or so about the snyder nonsense it's just, just what a fucking well everybody you know like the thing is there's a lot of money going out the window you know and then everybody's everybody's oh, freaking with- out about it and and Nobody wants the masters of the universe to be, you know, calling the shots and dictating exactly what's going to happen to the to the industry because this they're they're basically deciding the future of movies, you know. And we can say whatever we want about right. it, but I mean, I agree. You know, so I mean, there's there's you know, none of the artists who make this these movies are getting a say in what what's going to happen to these movies once they get made. So I'm pretty sure that it's 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 it's, it's going to be ugly no matter what. Right, but Netflix has been dropping four billion dollars a year to create new content internally for the last two or three years. Everyone, it's a pay game. Everyone's, you know, regard they still. It's not like they're by moving to that model, they suddenly are like, oh, we're not, we don't have to pay as much money because we're going to be streaming only. They still have to make the movies. I guess I don't know. I, I, I'm sure they're losing something. You know, and also it's like it's it's a, it's a money ball I, situation again, where you know they they they're used to the game in one particular way. Someone comes along to try to change it, it's not going to be well appreciated. You know, first guy through the door gets bloody. So, you know, who knows? Well, the, in this case, the first guy through the door is is you know is has all the seats filled already. And the problem is, is you know these other guys are all going to come in and try and steal those people to sit in their seats. The difference is, is I don't think that that many people are going to be suddenly like, oh, well, I, you know, HBO Max has the Snyder cut. I guess I'll subscribe to HBO Max and not subscribe to Netflix. Yeah. I mean, look, but the streaming service thing is going to get out of hand really fast, you know? Oh, it already is. I think it, I think. And then, you know, the piracy thing is going to go through the roof if everything starts to go if everything goes to streaming again yeah it's you know so you you could be looking at the effective end of the movie industry you know if 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 no one does anything i know you don't think it could happen but it is probably what people who have a lot of money invested in it are worried it's going to happen you know they're 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 paid to panic way more than we are we could sit in our house and go "Eh, probably we'll probably be all right but these (laughs) <laughs> you know, the guy with like, uh, you know, the, you know, eight million dollar, uh, you know, uh, property taxes is thinking something completely different. Very true. Very, <laughs> well, that's that's kind of their choice, though. I mean, that's you know, you, you choose to buy an eight million dollar house. Well, that's I mean, on you. But I mean, I'm just saying that's probably, you know, this 
look, everything everything that's good about the country and everything that's wrong about the country is is money, you know, is money driven. Right? Everything we right. can't fix is because there's too many people making money off of it. Everything that everything that we want to be something worthwhile, something something good, we are trying to monetize so that it could it could get the level of attention that it wants to get. If we could find a way to, for people to make money off of climate change, you know, off, off of fixing climate change, the problem would be over. You know, that that's that's just the way our society is structured. And I'm not making any uh, criticism of it. That's just the way it is. So these people, I mean, if there's a if there's a problem, if there's if there's larger than life people making big uh, big moving decisions on whether or not people should we're going to stream our mainstream movies or not, it's because it's all being money driven. People are the you know people are getting scattered and moved around and crushed and destroyed because of money, not because of the artistic integrity of the medium. That's not there's nothing like that happening. They don't give a damn about that. Mike, Mike, thanks so much for coming on again. I always appreciate having you on. Five minutes ago, Mike. I will, uh, I will, I will happily have you on for two more movies whenever, whenever you come back, man. Thank you very much for including me. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate so much. So, thanks to Festlian Music. Please check out our website at SentimentalPod. Please check out our website at sentimentalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss in our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can always listen to new episodes at sentimentalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at sentimentalpod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Mike Pellerito, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and the best there ever was, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And there we go. The authority of His Majesty the King, the penalty for piracy is death. Pray, hangman, carry out the sentence. <laughs> <laughs>